Let's open our Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to step off from the uh, Gospel of Matthew this week and uh, share some thoughts that uh, I hope will be helpful when I grow up. Since we're recognizing graduates today, I thought we ought to hear from some famous graduation speakers, and uh, certainly this is one of them, Deepak Chopra, who was a doctor, you know, kind of a, become sort of a philosopher, if you will. And uh, here's uh, a little snippet from a recent graduation speech that he gave. It says, know your true self. Thank you. Let's just see. There we go. Beautiful. Know your true self. All the wisdom traditions tell us that the human spirit is a field of infinite possibilities. A field of infinite creativity, love, compassion, joy, and profound equanimity. Remember that you will create peace only when you are peaceful and create a loving world only when you have learned to love. Sounds good? This is uh, David Brooks. He's a columnist. Commencement speakers are always telling you to find your passion. This is the biggest load of crap old people have ever foisted on the young. No, you will not find your passion. Your passion will find you. Relax and wait for it. Don't think about what you want from life. Think about what life wants from you. If you're observant, some large problem will plop itself in front of you. It will define your mission and your calling. Your passion won't come from inside. It will come from outside. Josh Whedon, TV and film producer. You have which is a rare thing, that ability and the responsibility to listen to the distant in yourself, to at least give it the floor, because it is the key not only to consciousness but to real growth. To accept duality is to earn identity. (laughs) That's deep, man, that is deep. And identity is something you are constantly earning. Peace comes from the acceptance of the part of you that can never be at peace. It will always be in conflict. If you accept that, everything gets a lot better. <laughs> Dick Costello, the CEO of Twitter. And if you, if those of you that are so inclined, go and Google him and the graduation speech he gave. He got up at some famous big school and the very first thing he did was take his camera and take a picture and tweet the event that he was speaking at. Uh, That was the beginning of his graduation speech. Not only can you not plan the impact you're going to have, you often won't recognize it when you're having it. There you go. Oprah Winfrey, we all know her. It doesn't matter how far you might rise, at some point you're bound to stumble. And when you do, there's something I want you to remember. No such thing as failure. Failure is just life trying to move us in another direction. And lastly, Arianna Huffington, who's a publisher. Don't buy society's definition of success because it's not working for anyone. It's not working for women. It's not working for men. It's not working for polar bears. It's not working for the cicadas that are apparently about to emerge and swarm us. It's some bug back east. It's only truly working for those who make pharmaceuticals for stress, diabetes, heart disease, sleeplessness, and high blood pressure. 
Yeah. So there you have it, folks. It's all inside of you. It's all outside of you. Peace comes from the inside. Peace comes from the outside. Success will happen if you follow your dream. Success will happen as an accident of your circumstances. Failure isn't bad, and don't follow society's ideas. That's crystal clear. <laughs> Just pick your philosophy and go. Well, I'd like to offer you a moment of clarity in these moments of graduation and commencement addresses and ask the question, what would the Apostle Paul say if he were the commencement speaker today? What would he say to the graduates of 2013? I think what he would say is summarized in this statement. The rest of your life is not about what you do. It's about who you are. There's a sense in which it doesn't matter a lick what you do as a career, as a job, in the home, out of the home. It, everything matters about who you are as you do things. And so I want to look at a series of things that the Apostle Paul said he wanted to be and, and encourage you to pursue an identity that is rock solid and will create a great life for you, whatever form it might take. And that starts with Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. And it begins with this statement from the Apostle Paul, Be righteous. What are you going to be? Be righteous by believing and obeying Christ. Starting in Philippians 3.8. Yet indeed I count all things. And he just listed a whole bunch of what we might call academic degrees and qualifications. He said, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as so much garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. When Paul talks about gaining the righteousness of Christ, he's going all the way back to the beginning and summarizing up some things for us. Adam and Eve were created without defect. They were not righteous, but they were also not sinful. They were, they were innocent in their sinlessness. But they had the ability to choose obedience or rebellion against God's command, and they chose rebellion. And ever since then, humanity has been living with the consequences of their choice of rebellion. Those consequences began for them and continue with us with broken interpersonal relationships. And they soon progressed for them to murder. Adam was the head of the first dysfunctional family, which became the whole human race. And we are all born with a bent towards sin because of Adam. Sin is rebellion against God and it creates a life of uncertainty, anxiety, and disappointment. Ultimately, it leads to an eternity of punishment and separation from God called hell. But the good news is righteousness is the cure. We've been talking about righteousness today. The righteousness of Christ given to us by God, as Paul says, it comes from God through faith in Christ. 
Christ died on the cross, took God's punishment for our rebellion. And when we believe in him, we gain his righteousness. We gain his righteousness based on faith, by grace, by a gift. You have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Once that righteousness is implanted, it grows as we obey God's instruction. We don't earn our salvation, but once we have received it from God, the righteousness can grow. In fact, he he adds this here and he says, this is the purpose of salvation. We were created in Christ, we were saved in Christ for good works. God intends for us to do good as believers in him. And that brings us to this little statement here. Righteousness is the path to the good things we crave. When we talk to graduates, you know, we're, we're often uh, saying, where are you going to go to school? If they're a high school graduate, where are you going to go to school? We really don't care where they're going to go to school. What do we care about? We care about the idea, the notion that they've got to go to school so they can get a good job so they can make money, so they can be secure. Because if they don't, in our society, we see this whole line of things. You've got to go somewhere and learn something so you can make some money, so you can enjoy life. And if you don't do this, you're going you're to have a miserable life. Now, all three of my kids went to one form of schooling or another. I'm not against that. Obviously, I'm not against going to school. <laughs> Lord willing, I'm going to enter into another five years of it. But righteousness is the path to the things that we are after. Not school, and not money, and not some security based in stuff. The fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit of God working in us is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the stuff people are after. Now, unfortunately, in our society, we think the only way to have that stuff is to have money. We can't get married until we've got enough money to be secure. We won't attract the right person without a sufficient income or things like that. The truth is, righteousness brings love, joy, peace, and so on. Anybody know who that is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Barb knows because she made the PowerPoint for me. That's Paris, that's Paris Jackson. That's Michael Jackson's daughter. She tried to commit suicide this week. Either this week or last week. In our society, we think money is the key to happiness. Okay? Not apparently for her, and not apparently for her dad. And the question I would ask today, for any of you who might still be skeptical, is this. How many of these people do I need to show on this screen and show their crashed lives, even though they're rich and famous, before we start saying, you know what? Money, success, fame, security, whatever, that is not the key to love and joy and peace 
and all those things that we're after. The key is righteousness. We, when we live for God, God builds his good character in us. And no matter whether we have a, literal, a little or a lot, we can live in joy. We can look at athletes like these two, one of whom has crashed and one of whom is, is, is wheels up and headed for the ground. You know why? You know, Lance Armstrong, of course, famous doping thing. Yeah, I use all kinds of illegal substances to win all those races. And now they're after Alex Rodriguez and a whole bunch of Major League Baseball players. Lance Armstrong was at the top of the world, and he, he's about two-thirds of the way down now. And when the lawsuits get done, he'll probably be all the way to the bottom. Okay? Money can't buy you love. Money can't buy you happiness. Fame, none of that works. And I would just contrast that with the folks who were here last week and say, how many pictures of genuine believers like Rick and Lisa Kaner do I need to show you to prove to you that money and fame is not the key to happiness in life? Righteousness. You want to aim to be something? Be righteous. God will meet the needs of your heart in ways that you cannot imagine. Be righteous. It will make a great life for you now and heaven with God in eternity someday. Be righteous. Turn with me back a few pages to the book of Galatians, please. And another thing that the Apostle Paul was seeking to be, and he would encourage us to be as well today. He would say, be genuine by living to please God. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me was not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul didn't get up in the morning and take an opinion poll to see what he should preach. And if he had taken the opinion poll, he would not have preached the gospel. Because preaching the gospel got him persecution, uh, both uh, personal and social as well as physical. I mean, he went to prison. He was stoned so bad they thought he was dead, and he got up and walked away. That would have been cool. In the second half. The Apostle Paul didn't dialogue with the doctrinal legalist to try to make sure everyone was comfortable with his message. He didn't take a vote to see if he should blend in with the Gentiles when he was ministering to them. He said, absolutely I should blend in. I should be all things to all men that by all means I might win some. Paul helps us to understand the concept of living to please people in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says these words. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart 
with goodwill, doing service to God. I, I know this passage is talking about a different topic. It's talking about how you act as an employee, but he defines what it means to be a man pleaser, to be someone who gets up in the morning and says, I cannot rock the boat. Everybody's got to be happy with me as I go through the day. And he says what those people end up doing is they put on behaviors that are not genuine. Even they put on the behavior of, of obedience even though they don't believe it, they don't care for it in their heart, they'll do it just so people will be happy with them. The Apostle Paul said, that's not how I live my life. I don't live my life to please people. I live my life to honor God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now God tells us to be nice to people. God tells us to be obedient, all of these things. But the, the thing we have to ask in the morning when we get up is, who am I trying to please today? If we're trying to please people, we're going to be all over the place. But if we're trying to please God, we can walk in a straight line. There's an example from, in the Old Testament of a guy who, who walked to please people, and it's a terrible example, from King Saul. Then, and, and King Saul was told by God to go and, and eradicate a group of people. He's, they, God said, kill every living thing. And that's one of those instructions we don't fully grasp, but that was God's instruction. And he didn't do it. And so God sent the, the prophet Samuel to talk to him about it. Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I love this, the way God writes some of these things. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? He was supposed to kill every living thing. And Samuel goes, oh, really? And Saul said, they, they have brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. He actually said, it's your fault, Samuel. The people brought all this stuff to, to make a sacrifice to your God. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. He said, Even if that was what happened, God's not going to be honored because God wants obedience first and then a sacrifice that comes out of that. For rebellion... To God is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. Now here's the kicker, folks. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Why did Saul do all of that disobedience? Because the people wanted to do something, and, and he thought, well, that's not the right thing. They're not going to be happy with me. Okay, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Don't live your life that way. Know what God says, and get up in the morning and say, God, help me to do what you're saying, even when it's hard. You know how Saul lived out the rest of his days for about 20 years? He was bitter and angry, and he died a coward's death on the battlefield. Oh, he stayed as king, even though God said, I've taken it from you. Even though God anointed another king in his place, he hung on to, to what, was, what was not his then. 
Don't live in the fear of people. Live in the fear of God. Honor God. I can only imagine when the victory was won that the people were all coming around patting him on the back. Hey, we won a great victory today and, and we don't need to kill the animals. And, but he displeased God and he lost the right to be king. And as Dr. Phil would say, how'd that work out for you, Saul? Not that well. Hey, sometimes girls try to please boys to keep their love. Sometimes husbands try to please wives by giving up their leadership. Sometimes teens try to fit into the group by giving up what they know is right behavior. Sometimes a person will try to be accepted by their coworkers by going and joining in activities that they shouldn't. Living for the Lord not only causes you to please Him, but it brings consistency to your life. You can have an unchanging right way to choose behavior if it's the Word of God. Well, number three, the Apostle Paul would say, be useful. Be useful by maintaining your righteousness. Turn back a few more pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. The Apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthians. He's also given a little bit of a personal perspective here when he says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? You should run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined, self-disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, the Olympic Games in that day, they literally got a laurel crown, uh, something made out of leaves that would perish. They do it to obtain a perishable crown. We are running for an imperishable crown. Therefore, here's how I run, not with uncertainty. Here's how I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself should be disqualified. As a Christian, as we learn God's truth, one of the things we have to do with God's truth is apply it to our life in a self-disciplined way. The the whole idea of self-discipline being a fruit of the Spirit is kind of a paradox, and yet that's what God says. He says the Holy Spirit will help you to choose to do the right things. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance. And so God says, when you learn the truth, you have to say, I will do the truth. When you don't, you become unuseful to God. Maintaining your righteousness maintains your usefulness in God's kingdom. Uh, Dr. Paul Tassel was the national representative of our our fellowship of churches years ago. He's with the Lord now. I can remember as a young pastor hearing him preach several times, and he, he frequently would warn pastors. He would say, men, you have to be careful to, to be very, uh, very wise about how you conduct yourself, because if you don't, you'll fall into sin. And he said, I can tell you, I think at that time, he said, I personally know 20 men from our fellowship who have given up their ministry, they've lost their ministry because of sexual sin. 
And I used to think, boy, wow, I, I just can't hardly imagine that. And now I can stand before you today and say I could list a number of men from our fellowship in the Northwest who have given up their ministry because of sexual sin. And this command goes much broader than sexual sin, but if I was to put it real plainly, I would just put it this way. Don't break the rules. Because when you break the rules, you become unuseful to God. It's possible to become unuseful to God, at least in the same sense that you used to be. The Apostle Paul said, I don't ever want that to happen. He looked at, his, at the course of his life like a race course, and he said, here's the track. I have to stay in my lane. My lane includes God's instructions for my life. That is my goal, to go all the way to the end of the race, staying in the lane. In 2 Timothy 2, where he was almost to the end of the race, he said, I have run the race. I have finished the course. He said, I have stayed in my lane all the way. He followed the rules. He lived by righteousness. Now, I, I, I know none of us are sinlessly perfect, but there's a difference between judging sin soon, as soon as it's in our mind, and letting it go all the way to, to fully develop behavior that causes us difficulty and causes us to become unuseful. Be useful by maintaining righteousness. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, please. A few pages down the road there from Corinthians, Ephesians chapter 6, and look at one more thing that, uh, that Paul would, uh, another thing that Paul would tell us. Where are we at there? Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying always... Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication or making requests for all the saints, and pray for me. Pray that utterance or, or the ability to speak may be given to me so that I can open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you ever think of the Apostle Paul as needing help to be bold? I don't. My image of him is as a guy who just walks into a room and gets out his Bible guns and let's fly. <laughs> but apparently the Apostle Paul was human. And he said, you know what? Boy, I need to be bold for the Lord. There's, you know, there's all kinds of things that people are bold about today. Occupy Wall Street. Boy, oh, we're going to fight against big corporations. Same thing, same, same battle, different dog on the May Day protest with the anarchists marching through Seattle. We're going we're gonna to break windows and show the big corporation what it's all about, you know. Body decoration. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to make myself look special, unique, whatever. People are passionate about things like this. People are passionate about global warming and other political issues. They're passionate about political candidates. They're, person of, they're passionate about personal sinful issues. Many of the things that people shout about are ideas they think will change 
society. They think it will make their lives better. But we have the truth that has changed societies and does make people's lives better. And we should say so. We have to find ways to be bold. Apparently, Paul struggled to be bold at times. You know, maybe we haven't imagined him quite correctly. He, you know, he said he went to Athens. He was waiting for his co-workers to come. And, and he's walking around the city. And he said, after a while, I, I got so torn up in my spirit, I just thought, I have to talk to them about Jesus. And so he made his way to the hill where the philosophers hung out. And if I understand his prayer for boldness right, what was going through his mind as he walked up that hill, going to the place where the philosophers are, is he was thinking, how in the world am I going to talk to these people? How in the world can I get across to them the, the importance of Jesus and his place in saving their souls? And he's, and, and he's not going up there thinking, boy, I'm going to show these guys a thing or two. He's saying, oh God, help me. And, and he was praying and other people were praying for him to be bold. And he went up there and preached a sermon that's become a model for our modern society about, about how to talk to people who don't believe in God. He prayed and he asked for others to pray and he opened his mouth and God spoke through him. Aim to be bold for the Lord as you look forward. Number five, be a lifelong student of God's word. As Paul sat in jail expecting to finally lose his life to the, uh, to the sword of Nero and, and just to be executed for his faith, here's what he said to Timothy. He wrote this to Timothy in, in a letter. and He said, Timothy, all the people have left me. I'm kind of by myself. Would you come and visit me? Basically, that's what he asked me. He said, would you come and visit me? But he didn't just say, come and visit me. Bring the books, especially the parchments. You know what he was saying? Bring me the Bible. The parchment w would have been, uh, you know, as we think of it, a scroll, if you will, and the scripture written on it, and the book's probably a reference to a different form of that as well. Bring me the copies of God's Word. Now think about it, folks. The guy's in jail. He's about to die. He's an old man. He's near the end of his life. Does he really need to study the Bible? He wrote the Bible, for heaven's sake. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I had an opportunity to call a, a missionary friend of mine when he was in his 80s. I was calling to ask him about doing a ministry, and, and he was kind of a funny guy, and, and uh, John Schlenner. And, and when he picked up the phone, I said, Well, John, what are you doing? And he said, I'm studying for finals. <laughs> and he was not in school, folks. If the Apostle Paul needed and wanted the Scripture at the end of his life, we need the Scripture all through our lives. It's great to come to the end of a school year. I can still remember the feeling in college of getting to the end of finals week. Oh, is there anything more glorious than that? The last paper is done, the last class, the test is taken, and you just think, I am free for one week. <laughs> ah. 
I know the last class that I had to take in my program was the hardest class I had to take and required the most reading. I think I had to read 2,500 pages in eight weeks or something like that and, and writing papers and so on. And boy, it is good to be done. You know, part, part of me looks forward at the idea of a doctoral program and thinks, I, I don't know if I really want to do that or not. But we need to be careful that we don't let learning fatigue lap over onto the Bible and somehow think, oh, I'm just so tired of learning or I'm tired of studying or that sort of thing. No, school programs and study always have something that's a little bit difficult, but we have to say, no, 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 this is different. These are the words of life. This is what washes my soul. These are what build us strong. They guide us. They lead us home to heaven. Be a lifelong learner of God's word. It takes discipline to be in the word every day until the time when it just becomes part of your life. Be a lifelong learner. And lastly, be a worshiper of Christ. I had a professor in Bible college who was an excellent teacher. Everybody loved him. I think that's because he loved the Lord's work and loved the Lord. And, and uh, he was very organized. He was more organized than any other teacher we had. He had all of his notes, and he knew how much material he was going to go through every day. And, and it was generally good material. It wasn't just a dull class or whatever. And Taking notes. And, and pretty soon, you know, we realized... This doesn't have anything to do with the notes anymore, does it? And he's just preaching and preaching away for about five minutes. Then he'd stop and smile. He said, that's for free. <laughs> he'd just get carried away with the truth of God. And that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. It seems like that when he wrote the scripture. Right in the middle of a book like Timothy, he, he, he's just been talking about things, and all of a sudden he goes, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's just the end of chapter 1. But you see, he just... He, he's writing the truth, and he just goes, this is just the greatest thing. Isn't God great? And he stops. These little sections in the scripture have a, have a name in the, in the academic books. They're called doxologies. Little doxologies. You know, we have one, we sing here, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Okay, it's a doxology. They're sprinkled throughout the New Testament because the Apostle Paul and other writers just got overcame Overcome with the greatness of God. Here's one from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who was first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul was not God's secretary, writing down the truth and coming to the end like, like 12 weeks of a semester and going, well, that's done. He was overcome with the goodness and greatness of God as he, as he, le he learned from God. <laughs> he didn't know all this stuff ahead of time. God gave it to him and he, 
And he's going, oh, isn't this the greatest thing? Worship is the result of knowing God through his word, believing in the Savior according to that word, living in obedience to that word through faith, and then seeing God at work. When you believe God and obey God out throughout your daily life, you'll see what God is doing. Sometimes you'll see looking back. And the worshiper comes to the end of the day and says, Oh, thank you for a great day, God. Thank you for that thing. Thank you for helping me there. And the worship, the worshiper sees God at work. Worship is a cultivated habit, somewhat like prayer. It's half of what God means when he says pray without ceasing. God wants to have an ongoing conversation with us that doesn't stop. Sometimes we're asking for help. Sometimes we're giving thanks. Sometimes we're asking for wisdom. Sometimes we're recognizing his goodness. Sometimes we're intervening for a friend in need. Sometimes we're rejoicing in his supply and his faithfulness. Be a worshiper. As students approach graduation, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of questions. What are you going to do? What are you going to study? What are you going to be when you grow up? When I was a youth pastor, I'm a full-time youth pastor, I had an older pastor, uh, Carl Wheeler, say to me one time, well, do you hope to be a pastor yourself one day? Uh, uh, Yeah, Carl, I do, one day. (laughs) When I grow up, I'm going to be a real pastor. I want to challenge you today to take a very simple approach to your future, whether you're graduating or you've been graduated a long time. Don't worry about what you're going to do. Focus on what you're going to be. The sons of Korah wrote many of the songs we have in the book of Psalms, and they seem to have understood this truth when they wrote these words. A day in your courts is better than a thousand I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. I pray that you'll take the Apostle Paul's commencement address to heart and be all that you can be in the Lord. Heavenly Father, our world just presses us into certain molds, especially young people. It tries to push them to, to do certain things, learn certain things. And I pray for them especially today that you'll give them a heart to be your children and all that that, that, that can mean. And I pray that for all of us. May we go forth from here today striving to be who you want us to be. Thank you for our time. I pray in Christ's name, amen.